Last week, we finished the book of Job. So we go back to Job today to catch up on a subject that I think we need to point out. The purpose of the preacher, just to keep helping you guys understand, is certainly not to entertain, and it mildly is to inspire. But the purpose of the preacher is to make sure you all know what God has said. I hope that you understand that. That's why there's not as much pressure on us preachers to impress. And that's why there is huge pressure on us to represent God well. Not a lot of pressure to impress, depending on how gracious you all are but a ton of pressure to represent God well. In the book of Acts chapter 20, Paul is saying goodbye to the church in Ephesus. And he makes the statement in Acts chapter 20 that he declared to them the whole counsel of God. I hope you know that expression. The whole counsel of God means that Paul made sure he taught them everything that they needed to be taught. And the longer leaders stick around, and the longer we have a relationship, and the longer leaders preach and teach, the more they can cover, right? And so I didn't want it to be the case that you and I would study the book of Job for all of these weeks as we have, and we've been in Job for a long time. We didn't want it to be the case that we would be in Job for this long, and yet us not speak to the behemoth and the Leviathan, and those are our subjects today. We cannot say we have covered the book of Job if we have not talked about behemoth and Leviathan. We cannot say that we have preached the whole counsel of God from the book of Job if we have not looked at behemoth and Leviathan. These are huge subjects. And so we wanted to wait until the end. We are finished with the storyline of Job. So we call this an appendix, if you will. This is kind of like a extra special subject, chapter in this study of Job. The behemoth and the Leviathan. I would imagine that many of you all today have never ever even heard those words before. If you're a Bible reader, then I'm sure you've come across them and been a little bit uh, fascinated or baffled or at least curious as to what they are. These are two big subjects in the book of Job, and I'd like you to turn with me to Job chapter 40 so that we can see them. Job chapter 40, we'll begin writing, reading in verse 15. Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you, he eats grass like an ox, Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. 
For the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade the lotus trees cover him. The willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? And then you'll notice the very next verse, 41.1. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? We'll stop there for right now. We will continue to study Leviathan this morning. But let's stop there for now to see that both the behemoth and the Leviathan are mentioned here. Both of these are Hebrew words. Neither of these are English words. The translators didn't know what they were talking about. What animal is this exactly? So instead of translating behemoth and Leviathan into what they are, they just left it a transliteration. And so we have behemoth and Leviathan. These are Hebrew words. These are the name of some sort of animal creature creation in Hebrew that we couldn't quite figure out. So our study today is what are they? Let me remind you the context here. You know how Job began. Job's a great guy. He suffers because God allows Satan to. Then Job and his suffering has all these chapters, days and days and days, of Job and his friends discussing what's going on. Job finally is doubting some, hasn't lost his faith. But then in the end, God comes to him. And from chapter 38, 39, 40, and 41, God answers to Job, and it puts Job in the proper perspective. Job repents, and then God restores Job. That's the book. But at the very final two chapters of God's response, 38, 39, 40, and 41. God responds with four chapters, really two messages, 38 and 39. Then Job says a little bit at the beginning of 40, and then 40 to 41. At the very end of 40 and 41, or the very end of God speaking, the very end of the book, 40 and 41 is where God brings up these two subjects, behemoth and Leviathan. My first point for us today is God is the creator. God is the creator. This is the message that God is making to Job. Of all of the things that God could have said to Job, in all of the ways that he could have answered him, comforted him, rebuked him of all the things that he could have said. Here's why I'm doing this, a therapy session. Let's sit down and explain. Let's talk it out. He didn't. He pointed Job to this grand truth. I'm the maker. I'm the creator. And in God's mind, God being your creator is such a massive truth so incredibly foundational that everything in your life can be built upon that foundation. So incredibly powerful that it can sustain everything in your life that he is your maker. We must be people who believe actively that God, our God, God, the God, is a creator God. 
He's not just some superpower being. He's not just something that's different, uh, distant, making an influence in the world. He is the maker, the designer, the architect, the creator of all creation. God reminds Job of this. He is the creator and everything else is creature creation. That is to mean something to you. That is to shape you. That is to humble you and put you in perspective. That is to cause you to always and always and always humble yourself before him. That is to cause you to submit to him. That is cause you to walk in a way that always thinks about God is my maker. God is bigger. God is greater. God knows. And this truth of God being creator should run throughout all of creation. Everywhere you go, everybody should be living under this glorious truth umbrella that God is our creator. There isn't a thought, there isn't an experience, there isn't a place, there isn't a thing that goes on apart from God. God as creator is such a massive truth, point of belief, that you and I must be reminded of it here today and cling to it. Again, in God's massive response to Job, and it is a massive response. The final two chapters are simply about, the final four chapters are about him being creator, and the final two chapters are about him creating these awesome beasts, Behemoth and Leviathan. We must understand that God being creator means something huge to Job and therefore to us. And with the way we see Job responding, it does. But the Bible not only says it in a few places, the Bible always looks back to this. Genesis 1.1, the very first sentence in the Bible, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is how God began his book, his message. That is the very first thing that God wants every person to read. And while there are tons of people out there who have never read the whole Bible, there are tons of people out there who have read the first verse of the Bible because God wants to make sure you know it all starts with him being your maker. He is big but we see it throughout the scriptures. Psalm 104, 24 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Songs are about God being creator. Proverbs chapter three, very different from the Psalms. Psalms are songs. Proverbs are statements of wisdom. Proverbs 3, 19 and 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. It is a point of wisdom for you to believe that God is your maker. It is a great point of belief or doctrine for you to understand that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. And one of the first things you need to know in your knowledge is that he is your maker. The Bible points us over and over again to God as creator. And Pastor Matt McBroom read earlier from Colossians 1. I'm going to talk about this later. But the New Testament picks up again on creation and creation and creation and creation. Even understanding Jesus as creator. Number one, God is the creator. 
Believing in God as your creator is crucial to your entire life. It is crucial to your pride and crucial to your humility. It is crucial to your leadership in every single place of responsibility to you have, in every place of responsibility that you have. When you come to believe that your life is under God's reign because he is your maker, it will start shaping things. It shapes how we think about everything created. We do a lot of premarital counseling here. We love to help people get married. And in premarital counseling, in session one, we ask, where did marriage come from? That's a good question, isn't it? Where did marriage come from? Who invented marriage? Was it the Americans? Was it the Europeans, right? Who who invented marriage? Where did it come from? And the answer to that in one simple three-letter word is God did. God created marriage. If you go back and you see, God identifies that the man is alone, and that's not a good thing, right? That's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2. Adam was alone, and it's not good that man should be alone. So God made him a wife. And from the very, very beginning, they were married. There has never, ever been a time in the history of the world where there have been humans without marriage. As soon as there were two people, there was marriage. God made Adam and Eve married. And since that is true, then it causes you and I to go, okay, if God made marriage, then how are we to understand marriage? What does marriage mean and how are we to think about it? Since he is the creator of marriage, we look to God to understand marriage. It's pretty simple, but that's the way it works with everything. If he's the creator of oceans, why did he make oceans? What is his point in making oceans? But take that a step further and say, If he's the creator of us, why did he make us? Isn't that a great question? Rick Warren, that well-known pastor in California says, you didn't create yourself. And so, there is no way that you can tell yourself what you were created for. You must turn to God. If you want to understand why you were made, What are you here for? What's your purpose? Why, why, why? Then we must turn to God who made us and say, God, why did you make me? What did you make me for? And why did you make me like this? That we would understand creation from our creator. This is important. This is what God is doing to Job. Job, at that suffering point in his life, asked questions in which we have all lived. We know that nothing is a better teacher than suffering because in our suffering, we doubt and we worry and we ask questions and questions and questions. And it is there that God points out to Job, not the why, He never tells him why. The reader knows more about why than Job does. Remember, Job never even knew about Satan. He doesn't know about that conversation early on between God and Satan. He doesn't know that God has his life completely under control and in his grips. We know that, but Job doesn't. 
Job, but God knows that by overwhelmingly reminding Job that he is the maker, the sovereign creator, the all-powerful one, not only of everything, of all the animals and the beasts and everything, but also of Job, that does something to Job. And while it is absolutely crucial, important for us to believe that God is our creator, it is equally dangerous for us to get that wrong. This is why teaching the Bible is the most important thing we do. This is why you submitting to the teaching of the Bible or committing to the teaching of the Bible is the most important thing you will do. This is why we urge you to be here regularly and consistently. This is why we ask you to read your Bibles faithfully. This is why we want you to be filled with the word of God. Because when we get it right, it is good for us. And when we get it wrong, it is bad for us. I want you to think about how bad and dangerous it is when we get outside of living as God, as our creator. Living humbly under God as our creator. Turn with me to Romans chapter one. Romans, chapter, Romans is the fourth book of the New Testament. So if you can find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, go a little bit further, Acts, and then Romans. This is one of the most well-known passages where we have this very thought, God as creator, being rejected and what that means and the consequence of it. Romans chapter one. If we get God as creator wrong, we are very wrong. We are in danger. Romans chapter one, we're gonna read verses 18 through 25. If you've never read this before, then the Bible is gonna be so incredible for you this morning. It's gonna turn on light bulbs and invoke curiosity. It's gonna speak to thoughts that you've had. We need to understand in teaching and preaching the whole counsel of God that God has given us a message, a message of truth that will satisfy our souls. It will be like the bread of life to us. It will be like what you're hungry for. It will be like the answer to all your doubts and questions if we will read it, if we will faithfully teach it. Romans chapter one, starting at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, and animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Now look at verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, 
and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. When we get wrong that God is our creator, we will worship something else. And when we worship something other than God, we are sinning, rebelling against God. May you be reminded and strengthened here today to plant yourself firmly on the teaching of God's truth that he is our creator. If we do not get that, then we are wrong. Number one, God is the creator. Number two, his greatness and glory is seen in his creation. Turn back with me to Job 40 now. And here we will look at the greatness and the beauty and the glory of his creation. Not only does God want you to know that he is creator and powerful and sovereign and divine and all of that, but he wants you to see that that makes him awesome and wonderful and loving and beautiful, right? Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. In chapters 38 and 39 of Job, you have God pointing out all sorts of things, right? He says, where were you when I measured out how big the earth's gonna be? He said, where, where were you, Job, when I said how, ocean, how far the ocean is going to come? Do you know how a mountain goat gives birth? He just points to all kinds of different stuff. He wants Job to see the beauty in it. And this is why we love taking our kids to the zoo, is it not? And we're thankful to live here in the city of Louisville where a zoo is so close. There's not a zoo in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I grew up. And so my whole life growing up, I never went to a zoo. There's not one there. But there is one here. And we have taken our kids to the Louisville Zoo, seriously, a thousand times. We have a membership. We can go whenever we want to. And it's amazing, right? You can go right and go down there to the island section of the zoo, and you can see the orangutan, and you can see those giant turtles, right? Just fascinating things. You can go left over here and immediately see the rhino, how big that is. You can see the giraffes and how tall they are. You can see the lion over there. And you can just keep going everywhere and see gorillas and see tigers and see the new sloth that they have. I mean, think about the glory of God in creation. Everybody has seen a cat in your yard climb a tree. They've got a 500-pound cat. A 500-pound cat. They can climb a tree just like your little cat. You can get up close to the glass on those gorillas. And I know y'all have met some men before that do construction or whatever, and their hands are so tough and calloused. And when they shake your hand, they feel like you're about to rip you to pieces. And then you see the hand on that gorilla as he puts his hand up to the glass. And his hand looks like a machine. And he looks so strong. And God wants us to know he makes things like that. God wants us to know that he made everything that we see and experience. He points that out in Job 38 and 39, but at Job 40 and 41, he goes to what he calls the best, the best of his creation, the behemoth and the Leviathan. His greatness and glory are seen in his creation. 
And so therefore his greatness and glory are seen at the top of his creation. So what is the behemoth and what is the Leviathan? So let's look, all right? Behemoth means beast. It means cattle. It means a beast beyond comparison. It means an extraordinary creature, a land animal, if you will. So let's look what it says. Now, chapter 41 is Leviathan, the entire chapter, 34 verses. Behemoth is just 15 to 24 in chapter 40, but let's look at it. Verse 15, God says, which I made as I made you. So he's the creator. He made Job and he also made the behemoth. It eats grass like an ox. Is it a herbivore? Not a carnivore? It's got strength in its loins, power in the muscles of his belly. It's got a massive tail, stiff like a cedar tree. His thighs are strong. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs like bars of iron, just strong and powerful. Verse 19 says, he's the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. God is challenging Job with whoever is the maker of something so powerful and dynamic as the behemoth must be even greater. Of course, it is God. And then he goes in verse 20 and 21 and talks about where he lives and how he lays the mountains, the lotus plants, the reeds, the marsh, the lotus trees, the willows. It talks about him being in the river and the river doesn't bother him. Verse 23, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. What is this? What's he talking about? Well, simply by the fact that it's not been translated lets us know that we've struggled with it. If you look it up in study Bibles or commentaries, you will hear a hippopotamus, that's the most common. You'll hear cattle, you'll hear buffalo, you'll hear elephant. I read all of those this week, that it could be a hippo, a cattle, a cow, a buffalo, or an elephant. But I want to tell y'all here today that I'm not convinced at all on those. Sounds way bigger than a cattle or a buffalo, sounds stronger. We know that hippos are big and powerful, but verse 17 says, look at that again, that his tail is stiff like a cedar tree. Nobody, not a single one of you, would ever, ever describe a hippo's tail as a cedar tree. If I gave you 100 guesses to describe a hippo's tail without you having read this chapter, not a one of you would have said it's like a cedar tree. There's not a chance. There's not a chance that verse 17 is referring to a hippo. So what is it? I want to suggest to you that chapter 40, the behemoth, that God is referring to a dinosaur, a land animal. Now, We've already mentioned that here in August, we're gonna spend every Sunday night in August going through the age of the earth, speaking through creation. But it is quite possible that people lived during the time of the dinosaurs. That there were dinosaurs before the flood and there were dinosaurs shortly after the flood with Noah. And so it is reasonable to think that God is not just describing a big animal that we have here, 
he is describing the biggest animals that he ever made. We know that dinosaurs were huge and impressive. The only thing that would keep you from thinking that this is a dinosaur is if you think dinosaurs did not live when humans lived. But if it's possible that dinosaurs lived when humans lived, then there's no question that this is something bigger than a hippo or a buffalo or an elephant. God is the maker of the behemoth. And that was to humble Job. Whatever the behemoth was, and I'm saying I think it's a dinosaur, but whatever behemoth was, Job was in awe of just how incredibly huge and strong it is. And so by by God drawing Job's attention, I made the behemoth. Job is reminded of the authority and power and sovereign reign of God, the creator. That's the behemoth. Immediately after the behemoth, you have the Leviathan. Read with me, starting at chapter 41. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you put him on a leash for your girls? Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You will not do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. Who then is he who can stand before me? Who is first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silence concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? Around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezings flash forth light. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn. Out of his mouth go flaming torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils comes forth smoke as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals and a flame comes forth from his mouth. In his neck abides strength and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him and immovable. His heart is hard as a stone, hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid. At the crashing, they they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee for him. Sling stones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts are like sharp pots herds. He spreads himself like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him, he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. On earth, there is not his like a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high, He is king over all the sons of pride. This is the end of God's speech to Job. 
That that we just read concludes God's answer. God has just laid before Job what is quite possibly the greatest creature he ever made. You have the behemoth and now you have the Leviathan. So what is the Leviathan? The Leviathan is actually mentioned four times in scripture, four other times, Job chapter three, Psalm 74, Psalm 104, and Isaiah 27. Several different authors who are familiar with this creature, the Leviathan. So what is it? Well, I want to say again that this is some massive water creature. While the behemoth is some massive land animal, this is some massive water animal. And we've heard many things. We've heard crocodile. We've heard killer whale. We've heard great white shark. But as I said on the behemoth, and as is shown in that they did not translate it to any of those, those are decent guesses, but they do not quite fit the description. When you look at verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, you look there, it sounds like this could be a crocodile. Lots of teeth and rows of shields on its back and all of that. But when you hear that it lives in the sea, it doesn't sound like a crocodile. When you hear that it is above everything, it sees everything that is high, it doesn't sound like a crocodile. Not so sure that this could be a killer whale or a great white shark. But clearly this is something. And I want to say to you that I think yet again that this is a dinosaur, a dinosaur that lived in water. Psalm 104.26 says this, that it lives in the sea among ships. We would not think that this animal that can look high would be a shark or a whale or a crocodile. If you can picture it moving quickly through the ocean, even around ships. But if there was some massive, impressive type of uh, dinosaur that swims, that was long and had a neck and all of this power, then it is possible. And as I said again, the only thing that would keep you from thinking that is if you thought that there was no chance that people lived with dinosaurs. But if it is possible that people lived with dinosaurs, then absolutely Job and also Isaiah and also the author of the Psalms would have been familiar with a Leviathan. John MacArthur says, in each case, Leviathan refers to some mighty creature who can overwhelm man, but is no match for God. Behemoth and Leviathan. Our very own Ken Ham, who lives here in the state of Kentucky, says, the description of behemoth in Job 40 is clearly not a mythical monster. And no other living creature alive fits its description. So it must be an extinct creature because nothing that we see today sounds like this. The only reason to not see behemoth as a dinosaur is if you've already accepted an evolutionary time frame of the world that is contradicted by history, science, and most importantly, the word of God. The behemoth and the Leviathan. Whatever you think it is, whether you agree with me or disagree with me, they're impressive, right? They are meant to humble Job. They are meant to make Job go, wow, you lead that? And it's meant to make Job think, God is so big. That's the point. It's kind of like this. You ever gone to visit somebody that has a bunch of dogs or maybe gone to visit somebody that just has one crazy dog? 
and you knock on the door and they say, come on in. And you walk inside and all of a sudden there's a dog going crazy, jumping at you and barking and flapping its tail at you and biting you and just doing everything and running around and jumping on the couch and, and doing all of that. You ever visit somebody when that happens? And you don't know if it's kind of your place to say, you know, stop, get away, or if you're looking at them like, do something. You've been in that setting before, right? Or maybe it's a dog that's run up in your yard and you're like, I don't know what to do with it. I'm, should I be afraid? Does it bite? You know, what, what do I do? And you're kind of in that moment going, this isn't my dog, and I don't know that dog's name, and I don't know if that dog listens, and I don't really know how to get it to stop, and what do I do here? And in a real quick second, you're kind of stuck or frozen like, but then the owner is able to like that. Hey, get over there and get in your cage. Down. And all of a sudden, this dog that seems to have overwhelmed you with energy and volume and whatever else, stops. Goes back over in the corner and lays down, right? We've been in that moment before, right? Where a hyper dog is overwhelming us and yet the owner just calmly, you picture somebody not even getting up off the couch and just saying, get back in the kitchen. And the dog goes and gets back in the kitchen. What seemed like this crazy, powerful moment is brought under control just like that. This is what God has done for Job. At the peak of his suffering, at the fullness of his questions and doubt, he hasn't explained things. He's just reminded Job, I'm over everything. I made the hippo or the dinosaur. I made the alligator or the ocean dinosaur. I'm in charge of it all, Job. We are to see in the hugeness of what God has created and in the majesty of it, the greatness and glory of God. And so lastly, God is the creator. His greatness and glory are seen in his creation. Lastly, we are to be reminded here today that our creator is also our savior. Your creator is also your savior. We are not just deists. No, we're not. We are theists that believe that the one true God has revealed himself through his word. And in his word, he has told us that he has a son that is equal to him. He is a part of the Trinity, the three-headed God, God the, 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 the one God that exists in three persons, and that he loves us. And he sent his son Jesus to die for us. That the one who made us is the one who's done everything for us to forgive us of our sins and offer to us redemption and salvation. The New Testament makes clear that Jesus Christ of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary, is the creator of the world. John chapter 1 says that all things were made through him and without him nothing was made. There is nothing in the world that was not made by creator Jesus. Colossians 1 that Matt McRoom read says, all things were made through him. He holds everything together. All things were made through him and for him, speaking of Jesus. The New Testament is clear. 
that we are to understand Jesus as God, therefore creator, and that places huge emphasis on him dying. Jesus is not just the sacrificial lamb. He is God who is the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is not just the one who died on the cross. He is the creator of the universe that died on the cross. We are to understand that our creator is also our savior. A sacrificial death for us sinful people. The one who made the world died for the world. The one who never sinned died for us sinners. We are to understand that the creator that created all of this majestic stuff is the one who would give his life for us. The creator died for his creation to be its savior. It is not enough for us to think that God is big and powerful and that he made everything. It's not enough to just kind of casually refer to him as the man upstairs or the the good Lord or Lord willing and the creek don't rise. That, That is somewhat respectful, but it's not Christianity. Christianity describes to us a God who sent us a long book so we would know everything about him that he wants us to know. And he's the one who holds us together in our suffering and he's the one who has answers for us. In in short, God comforts Job through rebuke, through Job's repentance, through restoration, and through his salvation as redeemer. God comforts Job by showing him I'm your creator, and I'm the one that takes care of you. And you and I know that not only did he make us, but he loves us and died for us. May you be strengthened here in the faith of God being your creator. May you be strengthened here in the faith of knowing that the God that made you loves you so seriously that Jesus died for you. If you will believe and ask him for forgiveness of sins, you will be in the family of your creator. Your maker can become your father through the salvation of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the passages on behemoth and Leviathan, and thank you for the reminder of just how great you are. God, here today, may we be strengthened in that. May we never live our lives without respect and reverence toward your holiness. Father, we pray that we would here today repent and believe that you're our savior. Father, thank you for the book of Job and how good it has been for us to study it. We pray here today you would work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to encourage you.